Hello, and welcome to Season 1 of the AI Times Automation Podcast. I am here today with Kurt Fluger. Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Yep, my name is Kurt Fluger. I spent uh, a good part of my my career in Silicon Valley as a startup founder. Uh, had had a couple of successes, and after that, became an investor, became a venture capital partner with a couple of funds, and have recently gotten back into the startup world, uh, working on AI automation with a company called Demand Engineering. Wow. Okay, well, start by telling us about demand engineering, and then I'm curious to go back back in in time. Sure. So, so uh, I started demand engineering with my CTO Nick Elwick, who's a who's a a long term or a long time uh, builder, long time dev, who's worked with a number of uh, large tech companies. We kind of got talking. We became friends last year, and as we saw what was happening in the space, we realized that, you know, this is a, this is a transformative technology. And because of the advancements that have happened uh, in both the Silicon and, and also in, in terms of the tech that was coming out from some of the big players, like we've seen with, with Google and, and open AI, and, and obviously uh, what Meta was doing with, with Llama, with these large language models, we thought it was a good time to leverage this for enterprise. And so we started this company called Demand Engineering to, to do just that. So we're finding ways of working with, you know, with businesses that are looking to automate processes. So this could be anything that is a repetitive task. And this, you know, this could, this could include anything in, you know, sales and marketing, uh, finance, uh, operations, you name it. We are finding ways to make things much more efficient and ultimately more profitable. That's interesting. Do you find that there's more demand in the big business or the medium sized business or the small business? Who is in the most need for automation right now? Well, it's interesting. That's a great question. I think we're seeing that there are, you know, they're all across the board, right? You go, uh, you know, small businesses are obviously they're struggling to try to find ways to become more profitable and more efficient. Um, AI can improve your your workforce, if you will, makes you more efficient. Uh, in some cases, you could even replace employees. I mean, that's not a popular that's not a popular notion, but that is fact. And then you've got kind of the the medium medium sized enterprise companies that I think that, that I think everyone in this in this you know from from top to bottom are working on finding ways to to become more more effective, more efficient. And so I don't think it's across the board. I don't think everyone's going in wholesale, but there's certainly, there are some that are, that are making moves. And that would include, you know, large fortune 500 companies all the way down to the, the small mom and pop shops that are, that are finding ways to utilize this tech to make themselves again, more profitable or more, more efficient. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular field that right now is in the middle of a big transition that you're capitalizing on? Or is it a more general, you know, you find opportunities in all different places? Yeah, I mean, if you look at sales and customer service, that's a, that's a massive opportunity. And so 
every enterprise, every company that has some some form of sales, right, or, or and, and customer service. It's just it's just nature of the game. So there there are tools that can be deployed, including text chatbots that are that are run by AI, as well as voice agents that are run by AI. That sound just like a a regular person that you're talking to, but in, when in fact it's 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 an AI voice. But they're, we're utilizing the the company's information, the repository of information that they have, and then also following their sales processes, and also uh, in addition to that, whatever may be pertinent to that particular industry. There may be specific legal requirements that have to be covered in terms of data privacy or Certain, uh, you know, for instance, in the insurance world, uh, certain processes need to be handled by a licensed broker. So, you, so you, there are a lot of these nuances that have to be covered, and that's why I'm I'm a fan of of what we're doing because I think every business has specific needs, and while there may be a lot of kind of off the shelf SaaS type products for covering this this area of customer service and sales. I don't think that that works for everyone. And certainly if it does work for you, great. But we're pretty excited about understanding the intricacies of a business, the requirements that are involved with that, as I mentioned, whether that's, you know, the legal or you know, regulatory, regulatory requirements and really fine tuning that in product for that customer. So, so that's why, and that's what we're doing at, at uh, Demand Engineering. Wow. I love it. And how are you finding clients? What's the, like, I think that's really one of the, the most interesting things about being an entrepreneur is your ability to connect with the right people. And if you can't find the right people, it's really difficult to move forward, right? Like everything requires a network. So how are you finding, is it like, do you have a network that you already built? Is there a new way that you're reaching out to people? How do you approach finding opportunities for this business? Yeah, that's a great question. So as you can see, I'm an old guy. So I have a pretty big network. You know, I've been around long enough that I have you know, friends that are either you know, venture capital guys with a portfolio of companies or um, you know, just just a really just a big network of of folks that are that are entrepreneurs, right? So that's really been kind of the first the first push um, for customers that we've been able to to reel in um, was just through my network. But I mean, I think we're starting to see you know that there are you know there's a bigger demand out there than what we initially thought, and we're starting to get more kind of reverse inquiries. Which is great. Um, we started actually one of the things we did for the sales and, uh, and customer service side. We we actually branded this platform called RevUp, which is you know increase your revenues, and so that is the that is the you know the sales automation chatbot and voice, and so we're working with a, a variety of industries. But again, this is this is not a what we found out quickly is that it's not a cookie cutter, and you know if if you're dealing with insurance guys it's different than dealing with medical guys. Uh, so the medical industry may have other, other needs than, than, you know, the insurance guys or versus legal, right? Lawyers have specific workflows that they need. So 
all of this also has to tie into their existing systems. And so we work a lot to, to figure out those kind of flows and make this kind of a seamless integration. But to answer your question, yeah, getting customers, um, yeah, so far it's just been kind of organic, but we're starting to, uh, we're starting to look at, you know, doing some things like, like this podcast today to, to kind of get the word out about what we're doing and, and uh, offer those services. Perfect. Your first business that you built, how did you arrive at that idea? Sure. I mean, I, I think every business idea I've ever had really came as a result of solving a problem for a customer. And it's not a, that's not a big secret. I think that's typically how businesses get started. My, you know, the, I mean, in the early stage, my first company uh, I built was, was a very, very specific uh, niche in inside of uh, contract manufacturers uh, for electronic goods. So it was very niche and it was very, and it was very, you know, I was completely green, had no idea what I was doing and, you know, learned the old hard way, which was the uh, school of hard knocks. And, but it was good because it, you know, I think once you have those kind of stinging experiences, you, you won't go there again. Um, but I think most of the, most of the businesses that, you know, that I've started were just that we're, we're really solving a problem for a customer. And what I found in being in Silicon Valley is that there were a lot of my friends who were, you know, they were coming up with tech and IP, but really hadn't thought about what, what, where, where was this going to be applied? How was this, how was this going to be commercialized? I mean, it was completely foreign to me. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Now we have to try, you've come up with the tech. Now we have to figure out where this fits and how this could be commercialized. And I thought, you know, I mean, it was a challenge. It was difficult. But but ultimately, and this is you know now that I've become a you know uh, became a, an investor and an advisor to to startup companies. I mean, I I think that was you know that's one of the lessons which seems like pretty simple, but it sometimes get lost. It gets lost in in tech in that you know you need to be able to if you can't solve a problem for a customer, why would they be willing to to pay for that, right? If it's some esoteric uh, if some esoteric product or service that doesn't get me x in improvement you know how are we going to monetize you know how, how, how are we even going to sell this thing so i think that was uh that was a big lesson for me mm. yeah i definitely am, am learning a lot of that stuff right now i'm experimenting with different businesses and it definitely is uh trial and error to to a, a great degree and i think a lot of it also is getting advice from other people because I, I know I personally am so blind to my own, you know, self and my own disposition. I, I don't know what is the best use of my own time. But then if I were to look at somebody else, I could make these determinations in a split second. It's very interesting how you, we have such a warped self-perception. But it's so easy to help other people. It's, a, it's a like, you know, when you're looking at a different person, it's it's like a more objective view than of yourself. So that's, that's also something I'm working through. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, I mean, that's a great point. And maybe, you know, if, if you're passionate about helping other people, then, you know, there's a business model there, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, the consulting world is, is, a, is a big one. And there's, you know, there's definitely room for that there too. Yeah. I'm okay. So 
with your first business, it was it's solving problems. What was the problem that you were solving? Well, so at that time, we, what we were solving for was that there, you know, this is kind of at the early stages of the internet in the late nineties, there were, you know, there weren't, there weren't a lot of repositories for information, right? It was pretty difficult to get information. And so for, for manufacturers of electronic products, they had a bill of materials and the bill of materials would include all the little chips and pieces that they would assemble together to make a product. And when they had an exception in their supply chain, meaning supplier A could not deliver that widget that they needed to put into that product, a lot of times they had to shut down the production line. So it became, it was, it was actually a very, it was a very big problem when uh, the, you know, the market was booming, obviously. Um, and then you had the opposite problem when the market wasn't booming, which is that all these manufacturers then had excess inventory. So what we did was we created a repository of information, collecting all of this data from these manufacturers of their inventory, what their inventory was for these widgets, for these, these components that they had. And then, um, and then also, uh, created a kind of a, a marketplace where, where buyers could come in and say, I, I need X. Uh, and we would kind of connect the two where, where we would find the, the buyer needed X and one of the other manufacturers we knew had, had Y. And so we just, it's, it's very simple, right? But at that time, the, just the information wasn't out there. So it was really just kind of an arbitrage of, of getting that information. Hmm. Would you liken the internet boom or even the computing boom to the, the AI LLM boom that we're seeing right now? Or would you say it's even bigger of an opportunity right now? Yeah, I think it's even bigger because it's, it's not just, you know, it's just not, it's not just AI and, and large language models. It, it really gets down to, it really gets down to modifying the architectures, the way that this software is built. I mean, that's all quickly changing now too, right? And, and everything because of AI, just about everything can be rebuilt and rebuilt better, right? So there, there's just so much, it's so big, it's so massive and we're at the infancy. So it's very, it's very exciting. I, I'm energized by it every day. And I just, yeah, I think, I think this is, I think this is one of the biggest tech transformations of our lifetimes. That's good. That's, that's a good thing for us and for anybody listening. You know, this is a good area to focus on. It's the gold rush. What is the, sh the shovel of this gold rush? I mean, you have it, you, you're doing it. You're doing the shovel selling, right? Because you're enabling people to take advantage of this technology. Is there any other things like that, that? Well, I mean, I think if you, you look at NVIDIA and AMD, right, they have the, they have the hardware, they have the. That's, that's, yeah, that's really the shovel, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's wild, right? Like the, the, you, I mean, this is one of the things we talk about and maybe it's, you know, insiders for those of us that are inside the, the, the game here with AI, we see like the, you know, the just absolute, um, incredible acceleration that's happening on development. And that's as a result of this, this 
silicon, right? So they're because of these chips, they're able to really to really get things um, turned quickly. So what used to take you know ten months can now be done in two months, right, or one month. Um, and next year, when when we have new silicon coming out, it should be even double what we have today. So this is just wild because things move and change so quickly. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get your mind around, but I think you're right. Like what, what are the, what are the other picks and shovels? I mean, clearly, you know, clearly the hardware is one. Um, but yeah, I think any of these tools that are being built that allow you to, to build using AI, as we talked about, you know, they're, they're going to be new architectures. And, and so you're starting to see some of these things happen where you can now write code uh, much faster because of AI also. Yeah, so I think there's, there's just so much opportunity and, it's, and it, it really is mind boggling. Yeah, you can pick any business and right now and you can come up with a product in AI that will improve that business. That, I think that's the interesting thing about it. It's like, it's almost like there's so much opportunity that it's like paralyzing to think about what, which one, if I were to come up with uh, a business, an AI business, wh what, where would I apply it? Would I come up with one to revolutionize? You know, I, I thought actually, this is a fun, fun exercise. I thought about every single business I was ever a part of. I was a lifeguard when I was uh, like 17 at a country club. And it was an easy job. But one of the things that I did, I loved to do, was the testing of the water. I would put little droplets in the little thing and then shake it and I, I would come up with the answer. Well, that entire process could be redone with AI. It probably already exists. I mean, there probably is like, you know, a somewhat affordable options for like an automatic tester. But you can imagine how AI could improve that process. It could look at the fluctuations and just like the way that the, the Nest thermostat has changed the way that we look at keeping our thermostats with the smart uh, sensing and all that to, you know, how could the chemicals have like a certain maybe bandwidth of acceptable range and it sort of learns that and learns when something's off. Um, there, I think there is opportunity for AI to be injected into everything. So I'm trying to think about where's, where's the best starting point. I don't know. Would you start with something that everybody's doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always better to, to, to find that, to find that, to find that one thing that you can solve, that one problem that you can solve and, and go after that. I think trying to, trying to run with the crowd is, is not always a great or profitable method in the end. I can give you maybe some things that are kind of, evolving in this in this space and kind of getting some attention if you like i can kind of just go over some of those yeah so you know one of the things that were you know that that's really become and you see this you probably see this a lot in the in the news because regulators are starting to you know there's a lot of worry about what's happening and so there's a lot of in you know ethical ai and bias reduction and so um efforts are being made to develop you know ai that's fair and transparent and accountable. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot, obviously there's a lot happening in healthcare. We mentioned that we actually have one of, one of our customers is in, in the medical space. And so that's, that's something that's very interesting, but that's, that, that, that's also just a massive, a massive, uh, 
um, vertical because, you know, you've got drug discovery, um, personalized medicine, diagnostics, um, you know, it just goes on and on. There's so much to do there. And then, and then at, at the point of care, you know, you've got the, you know, just the, the interactions with patients, right. And how doctors interact with patients. So there's, there's a lot there in healthcare. Um, we, you know, we talked about just automating the workplace. And so you can increase the increased productivity and efficiency there with, with automation, right? So there's, there's all of that. And then, and then, you know, that, then you have to also then worry about job displacement or the need for, you know, workforce reskilling. And my, my personal feeling is that people will be empowered. They will be empowered by AI, not necessarily, not necessarily replaced in total. And I think that's, I think that's something that we, you know, we can look at. I mean, you actually, Alex, you're one of those guys. You have automated your entire podcast system, right? Yeah. The yeah. way you, the way you uh, find guests and set up the appointments. Maybe actually, you, maybe you should talk about that. Let me give, yeah, I, I actually do have opinions on this. And I agree with you. I think it does enable us and, and it does empower us to do more. So I started with a totally manual podcast and then over time I added one tool to another and eventually I had a whole system and uh, I leveraged that I, I because I now took the time to run the podcast from like three hours a week to one hour a week and even less in some cases now I can triple or quadruple the number of podcast episodes that I create and I can create it I can replicate the model that I already have three or four different times, and now I'll have multiple podcasts. So this is part of a new AI and automation podcast that is running the same tech layer as my marketing podcast, and it's very easy to do. So I'm very much pro-automation. The AI does a lot of legwork that previously we had to do, like some of the tedious work. So I think for people with a vision, AI is going to clear the path and allow you to go forward yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, and congratulations because, you know, I, I was impressed by what you had done. And that's why I had, I remember, you know, our first conversation, I asked you, how did, how did you do all that? I mean, how did you figure that out? That That's really cool. I mean, you're a hustler. Thanks. So that's, Thanks. that's awesome. Yeah. So everything can be automated. Frankly, I maybe should sell some kind of a solution to, to create an automatic podcast for other people. There are some sort of things that kind of do that, but I'll think about it. It's interesting to think about how you can productize things in your own life. Um, I have a board of advisors and I have a little package that I send to them whenever we have a board meeting. And it came with a little DVD or a little video player uh, that you open up and it plays a video. And then like I put candy and some private products that I created, like uh, imported olive oil from Greece and stuff. I put it together, I sent it to them, they loved it so much, they said you should make this into a service for other people to create a board around themselves and to send them updates with little gifts and goodies. And I thought that's a really good idea, but I don't have the time. I, I, don't, I can't just start a business for every single part of my life. Um, so I, I guess, how do you approach prioritizing different ideas? I'm sure you have many ideas. How do you, do you pressure test it? Do you run it past other people? Sure. Sure. I mean, it goes back to that, that, you know, the, the thing which we talked about earlier, which is you, you've got to be able to solve a problem for someone. And if, and if it's, if you're delivering value and they feel like that, 
that value can be um, can be uh, monetized, they'll pay you for it. Then, yeah, I think you've got something. So I, I agree with you. I mean, we just started doing a podcast. I think it's a great idea. I think you could definitely you could expand upon what you've what you've already done because it is it is incredibly time consuming to to do all the things that we need to do, right? Um, so that, Hey, maybe that's something we, we can work on together with you. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. I, I would love to help and lean in on that. One suggestion I would have is, is go, you know, talk to the other folks that are doing podcasts and see if this is something that would resonate with them and then what other features they would want. And then I think that's what you'd, you'd want to turn into your first kind of MVP your minimally viable product. Yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, I love it. I can see it. It's starting to materialize. This is a vision. I assume I assume you know how visions work, having built a successful business. Can you tell us about how you capture your visions, how you interpret this whole idea of visions? Well, I think, you know, that's a great question because a lot of times we start out with what we believe to be the path forward, right? And and a lot of times through trial and error and customer feedback, and technical limitations or or technical enablements that lead you somewhere else. So, you know, there's always that that term that's used in the startup world or in, in business, which is a pivot, right? So sometimes you need to pivot to to move into that direction which will will deliver the value that you're looking for. And so yeah, it, it is it really is a trial and error. Thing. And that's why, you know, that's why I think it's important that if you are going to, going to do, you know, any kind of a product that you get it out there uh, with that MVP, which is kind of just the this bare skeleton use utility of what you're trying to deliver and let let customers give you some feedback about it. Was this what you like? Here's here what here's what the thing would look like if, it, if it's not totally built out. You know, here, here's the other functionality we're looking to improve. And then you'll get, you know, talk to 100 different people that could be using this and you'll get a pretty good idea of the features they're looking for, what, what their pain threshold is in terms of pain for these things. Because and I'm sure you see this, too, because I know, you know, some of the the automation tools you've deployed for your setup, I mean, it can become pretty costly for a small business to start doing this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting because it scales really cheaply. So to for me to run the automation for one podcast is about the same as for four and probably pretty similar for 10. So there could be a pocket of opportunity for me to run other people's podcasts on my own infrastructure that I run mine through, possibly. There you go. There you go. So throw that into your business plan, right? And that's what I think is you know important too. Like write out your business plan. How you know how? What are the features? Who are the customers? What is your go-to-market strategy? What are what are the strengths and weaknesses of this offering? And what does the competition look like? Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah, because, and, and this is good because it's actually a practical small business. I have a dream of building a really big business, but it's extremely capital intensive. And I'm just not at the point where people are going to trust me with the amount of money it would take to build it. And for, to, to keep it brief, it's the Bloomberg Terminal for Advertising, so a centralized ad buying platform for all media. 
So this is like a humongous, audacious goal. I think I should start with a with a more practical business. And even I think this idea is amazing. Like th this is absolutely practical. I can see it. it. It's it's a it's a it's a step. I need to evolve a little bit, but it's not out of reach. I like well, you, you've already solved, you know, you've, you've found a way to solve the problem for yourself. So obviously there, there are going to be others that are feeling the same pain, right? You, you can solve that problem for them as well. And, and you know what? I never even thought about it, but there is a way to sell podcasts to podcast creators that I, I've been doing. And when I tell them there, and I think, I think in this case, we had this conversation too. When you tell people the actual benefits of the podcast, it's way more than they think. Uh, back in the day, I thought it was just, uh, you know, the most I could ever get back from the podcast was a sponsorship. But that ends, that's actually the easier side. That's, a, that's something you have to decide for yourself. Do I want to sell out my audience for an ad? And what is the value of that time for my audience? You know, they're going to they're gonna give you pennies for, you know, seconds of your audience's time, and you have to decide if that's worth it. But there's also the ancillary benefits of consulting. I mean, every person you talk to is basically free consulting. And you can ask them any questions you want, and it educates the audience, and it educates you. So it's a win-win. It's a and um, a lot of people will charge a lot of money. I'm sure you would charge a lot of money if I asked you to, to come on and help me with my business idea and, and tell me about what you know. But when it, when, if, it, if you can create a mutual exchange of value through a podcast, all of a sudden it doesn't feel unfair because it's not. It, it's, it's built in a way that is more fair. And so, but there is that side of it where it, it enriches the, the host as well as the audience. And then you have the network effect. You have all these people who learn about you. Every single guest brings on with them 10, maybe 20 new people that are exposed uh, and will listen to subsequent episodes. And so you have you know, so many different benefits to it. And then you have this audience you can ask questions to and you can learn from and they can help you improve it. All, all of it is, is very interesting and, and the scope of the benefits are much greater than just, you know, maybe I'll get a sponsorship sometime and. Yeah, of course, you know, you could get a sponsorship without a podcast, you know, you just have to be popular in, in, on some platform. Well, you know, the, the other thing I, I think that should be pointed out, the other reason I think you'll, you'll do well with this is because you're passionate about it, right? I mean, there's nothing worse than doing something that you hate doing, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's the opposite of that, you, you love getting up and, and I can hear it in your voice, you're very excited about what you're doing. And you're passionate about it, and I think that will help you. That will help drive you to success. And so, and and let me turn that on you. Would you would you say that passion is one of the things that is behind your success? What what are some of the keys that you think I wouldn't have gotten here without it? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's clearly. I mean, I'm motivated. I'm. I mean, this is why I left you know, the world of investing and jump back into startup because I'm completely energized by the possibilities that we have with generative AI and what can, you know, what the possibilities of, of, uh, of doing some amazing things. Right. And so that's why, you know, I get up every morning energized. I'm, I'm reading 24 seven about <laughs> if I'm a true believer in something, um, I mean, I'll run through walls to prove that this is real, right? That this, that this is, this works. 
Um, and, uh, and I think that's, I think that's important. I think you, you really have to have, you have to have like a good business idea that solves a problem and you have to have a passion for just dedicating yourself to the persistent work that needs to be done to make it a success. Mm. Yeah. I was listening to Sam Altman speaking about this topic. He said something to the degree of, I have nearly unlimited energy for things that work. Burnout is really caused by putting your energy into things that don't work. So if you're building the future and it's this positive reinforcement, you're going to have all the energy in the world for it, you know, because it's, it's bringing you back. It's bringing a return that is greater than the cost. I loved that. It's just, yeah, absolutely. This is, this is one thing that I, I, I never really, I've never felt like I've always been an entrepreneur uh, since, you know, since a young age. And I've, and I've, I've never felt like I was working because I'm, I'm always curious. I want to learn. I want to solve problems. And this is what's happening now with us with, uh, you know, with demand engineering now is like, we're, we're working with some customers to solve problems that they've never even thought could be solved. Right. So that this is like, this is great stuff and it's completely, you know, it's green field ahead. And I think that things are only going to get more exciting here as, as time moves forward, both with the technology and then also how it impacts society. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we'll talk about the society thing, but I want to ask, um, I just, a question I've had in the back of my mind about local LLMs. So if you're building for a business that's highly regulated, I think a lot of them won't want the learn the AI or the yeah, the, the, the chat GPT, they don't want it to be connected to the server. They want it to only to maybe have a copy of the data, but then work locally, have a copy of it on prem or something like that. Do you know about how that works? If, if I were to make a decision to, to get my own AI somehow, how, how would I, is there a vendor? Is there somebody that sells the copies? How does that work? Yeah, there, there's several, there's several um, open source models that you can host, you can self host. Um, and I can, we can actually share some of that info with you, but they, they're definitely, you, know, you we're seeing that with a lot of, of companies. I was just actually on a call today with, with um, a lawyer who is really in favor of this kind of, you know, self-hosted LLMs because there's, you know, there is, there is a, a lot of, there are a lot of problems with having your information running through an LLM. I mean, first of all, the computer's learning. And second of all, there's data privacy concerns. Uh, as it learns, it could also, it can infer who you are and what you're doing. There's a great story that came out, I think back in May, Samsung in San, San Jose, California, employees were banned from using chat gpt because they were inquiring with chat gpt not even saying they were from samsung but they were saying that they were they were asking chat gpt to tell them about the latest battery technologies that other companies were working on tell us about the the latest screen technologies that that are that that, that other companies are working on and it turns out that chat gpt figured out this was Samsung in San Jose wow. without them ever mentioning anything about that. And so that information got regurgitated back to a user that they, Oh, well, Samsung's working on, I think that yeah, they may have given it a prompt. What, what kind of phones is Samsung working on now? And, 
and I may have this story. I mean, I'm giving you kind of a general idea of the story. You could read it yourself. But ultimately, Samsung banned their employees from using it because they realized that the LLM, in this case, ChatGPT, was learning and then sharing that information. So it is it is a big concern. And this is one of the things um, that we are working on because we think you know data privacy is going to be even a greater concern moving forward and and you know i think it's still early where the regulators haven't you know haven't jumped on this fully yet but i think that's that's obviously coming and i think there's also kind of a a bit of a cavalier attitude for the folks that are out there right now in the industry that are that are actually building products and shipping products and there's you know there's there quite possibly no guardrails in that product that you're using and therefore your information could be at risk. And so these are the things that we, we hold near and dear and uh, working to solve, solve those problems. Yeah, this, that's interesting. I, if I were to predict, I would predict that the government is not going to come up with any regulation for this for a long time. And the reason why is because regulation would actually take power away from the AI companies because what's the direction they're going to correct in? It's going to be in the area of content rights. That's the biggest legal problem. So to fix it, they have to say, okay, now you have to pay these people. Okay, how do we determine that? How do we determine how much people get paid that's fair? That's going to take forever to figure out. It's going to take a long time. And I have the uh, personal opinion that the government does not operates in the best interest of people, it operates to the recommendations it receives from lobbyists. So what are the privacy lobbyists going to recommend? They're just going to try to increase the personal profits of the ChatGPT companies. So they're not going to do it for our privacy. They're going to try to, to construct a a wall around ChatGPT to not let anything in or out. I think that's the direction. Like the walled gardens that we see with advertising. I think that's where we're going. So I think what's really interesting about with AI is that the open source models are are really coming on strong. And there, you know, there there are some there are some uh, reports coming out on, and uh, papers coming out that are showing the performance of these versus a, a chat GPT, a chat GPT four, which looked pretty impressive, but time will tell. Uh, but I think that's, that's our, that's our one saving grace from, from uh, being subjected to another monopolistic player in this space is that we have a very strong open source community that are building incredible stuff. The one thing that I, I think is also front and center for regulators or will be is AI and cybersecurity because as cyber threats become more sophisticated, AI, uh, you know, is playing a crucial role in kind of detecting security breaches. But then there's also concern that AI is being used for malicious purposes, right? So this is like we're really into the wild, wild west in terms of this technology and. I, I'm personally, I personally feel like that's a that's a massive opportunity in the AI space. And you talked about picks and shovels. I think that's that's one that will be huge because you know cybersecurity already is is a massive industry, but with AI, it becomes it becomes even a, even a greater concern. Yeah, 
So AI is uh, technology. It's agnostic. It is, it is how it is used that makes it good or bad. And I think that it is very similar, and it will take a very similar trajectory to the atom, to atomic or nuclear technology, where the first place it will be implemented, in fact, I would, I would guess it absolutely has already been implemented, is in the government for weapons. That's like the first place they're going to take this emerging technology, because our enemies would do the exact same thing. They want to be one step ahead. So what happened with when we figured out how to split the atom? Well, first, they, they used it to blow somebody up, and, that, and that they just made a lot of history, right? Like somebody pushed the button, used it, scared the crap out of a lot of people. Then regulation ensued because it forced people to force lawmakers to do something about it. And then we had mutually assured destruction, which... Frankly, I can't even believe how well that's worked out. And then we were fine for, for uh, the whole time after. I mean, for a long time, we've been okay. I mean, knock on wood, obviously, the things aren't looking super hot. Uh, but in general, it's worked out pretty well. I think AI is going to be similar. There's going to be some big attack with AI on somebody, somewhere. And that's going to force lawmakers to be like, all right, now we have to lock this down globally. Everybody has to agree to some, some kind of an uh, um, MAD scenario where we're all in it together. We can't have one person mess it up for everybody. And then lawmakers are going to, yeah, so lawmakers then fix it and then we'll be fine for, for the foreseeable future. Do you think that's how it's probably going to play out? Um, I've never, I've, I've, I think that lawmakers have, you know, they're motivated by a couple of different things. And one is, you know, the motivation to protect the public. Yeah. And I'm not sure that a lot of times they don't, they don't, first of all, they may not understand the technology. They may not understand the implications and that therefore they may make decisions that don't necessarily, that, that while it may protect you, it may also inhibit you from leveraging the technology. So I think there's a fine line and I think there's a you know that, that they have to, to have to ride, and I'm not sure that 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 usually happens. Unfortunately, it's usually you know the the former where we we get some legislation that maybe slows down the advancement, limits your exposure, um, therefore you're not able able to to utilize the tech to the best of its ability on your behalf. So I think this is the you know this is kind of. And unfortunately, with AI, because it is, you know, everyone's very concerned about AGI and artificial general intelligence, and that, you know, that scares the hell out of everyone. And so, you know, that that motivates regulators, right? Because they they like to play on fear anyway. So this is, I mean, I don't want to sound so cynical, but I guess I am when it comes to regulators. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I am on that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see how the world actually works, how something comes out and then to see the machine kick into gear and just start working right away. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, for AGI, are you are you worried about AGI personally? Or do you feel like, you know, it's going to be in quite a while, like it's not coming tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I have, I, I guess I'm kind of in the middle. I think that, you know, if you listen to Mark 
Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz, he's he's of the belief that that that, that we don't really have that much to worry about. That that things will kind of work itself out. Um, but you know, if you listen to you know, if you listen to Elon Musk, you know, the the end of the world would be imminent if if we have if we hit AGI. So I, I think I kind of play in the middle, and I guess. We won't know until we really know. Yeah. It feels it feels pretty nuts right now to be alive. I think um, if you if you really understand the technology that is now proliferating. Well, I, I wish um, so. My business partner and, and CTO Nick Elwick had a paper that he was sharing with me last week, which. And if, and if I have the story correct, then maybe we can get it and share it with you so you can put it in the show notes. But there were there were a group of folks that were training uh, ChatGPT to to do some trades, to be a trader, right? A stock trader, I believe. And they gave it in, you know, they gave it very strict instructions that it was to be honest at all times. And during its interactions, they found that it became deceitful. And so, you know, there are some shocking things happening with AI, even today, that a lot of people don't even realize. And, uh, you know, it's, and there are a lot of people trying to solve these problems, right? How do we, how do we pre prevent um, AI hallucinations? So uh, there are a lot of things happening right now that, that I think the general public is not fully aware of. And um, while it has incredible utility, it also has, uh, another side to that, which is that it can be a little naughty. So, you know, <laughs> we have to try to we have to yeah. try to reel it all in at the same time as as we are, you know, building applications to make to make uh, everyone more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Final question: In terms of consumers, I'm just I'm a regular guy. What, how is AI going to impact me the most over the next decade? What technology, what thing is going to change in my life that AI is going to bring? Well, I think you have already answered that question, Alex, because we talked about it. You've already figured out a way to leverage automation on your behalf for this podcast. And I think with further, you know, further development, you'll find that there are other other tools that you can include with AI. Uh, you could even you could you could even have all of your pre-screening done with AI. Yeah, right. So you don't you, so it's not you you talked about time. So your time could be solved, your time could be free. And you're letting the AI bot screen these these uh, candidates for your podcast. Um, you could, you could, uh, you could automate, um, you, you could pretty much automate a lot of what you do on your podcast. As a matter of fact, Alex, you don't even have to show up for your podcast. <laughs> you can have the virtual you, the, the Alex avatar show up and do the <laughs> interviews. And, and because you can train, we, we can kind of train the AI to really, understand what it is that you're interested in and what you what what are the kind of questions that you ask and it's learning as because it's generative ai it's learning what you what your um what your quirks are 
So yeah. It's pretty interesting, right? Like if you think about it, you could, everything you're doing now um, could be completely automated with AI. So it's a removal of technology that is the biggest change. I will do less and I will have fewer things with me because AI will pick up uh, where, you know, some of that work for me. Exactly. And I think that's why, you know, we talked about, you know, workforce, while initially workforce may be displaced, I think ultimately, if you look at, look at what you're doing, I mean, you're a one man show. You, you, you're basically doing this entire podcast on your own um, that previously couldn't happen. And it's because of these tools that exist today. So you have the ability to, 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 to start a company. And there's so many tools for you out there that can help you run, you know, do the sales and marketing and uh, accounting and, and CRM and outreach and email automation and all this stuff is going to be, I mean, it's a wild time that we live in. And, and it, I think, you know, my advice is to anyone that's looking to start a business now, it could not be a better time. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kurt. I think that's a great note to end on. I really appreciate you joining. This is such an awesome episode. So thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much.